Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to PBT Extra. This is going to be an unbelievable episode because we got Drew Dinsick, betting analyst for NBC Sports Edge, and also the host of our daily betting show, Bet the Edge. Welcome, Drew. Welcome. We, we always start every show just asking, well, how was your weekend? Because, you know, we don't want to just jump right into basketball. We, we have lives. So how, how was your weekend? How are you doing? Absolutely incredible. Uh, I've been, it, it doesn't feel like the, you know, the, we haven't had a normal NBA offseason in a long time. So the fact that we did this year and now we're yeah. getting, you know, kind of a, uh, our normal start time and we have a normal 82 game season ahead of us is pretty exciting. And I got to say that like, the level of excitement for an NBA regular season, you know, it it, it it varies depending on, you know, there were some years where we kind of knew before the season started, like, man, there's an over 50% chance that the Warriors win this thing. And, you know, the excitement level is a little low. This year, it feels wide open. Both conferences, you have a very, very soft favorite at the top of the market. Uh, and the idea of really kind of knowing exactly how things are going to play out is not certain. And I love it when we have that because that creates opportunity. Yeah, I, I can't wait because uh, normally my whole, basically my, my universe, the solar system, if you will, the sun is the San Antonio Spurs. That's kind of, I'm just revolving around the San Antonio Spurs and I'm a basketball fan, obviously. Um, we're not looking too hot, but we I'm looking ahead to the draft. <laughs> That's kind of the way of I see this season. I'm like, man, we're looking ahead. Uh, but I'm excited to get all your takes on, on everything in the futures. But I got to ask too, Kurt. How was your weekend? I know you're always up to something interesting over in LA. I, 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 yeah, I wish I was up to something more interesting. It's it's been a pretty normal week. I have to say, just my sports fandom, though, as a Dodgers fan, I I am not discussing that. Um, <laughs> Corey, you and I are not going to discuss Notre Dame football because this is a family no. podcast, and I can't use the words I want to use so, <laughs> after after the Stanford game. So everything is now focused on Newcastle. I'm all about Newcastle United. That is the one piece of my fandom doing well. I'm completely emotionally invested in them, and history suggests that will devastate me in a few weeks. But right now, it's all good. Well, you have one devastation, a second devastation, and quickly a third devastation. Yeah, Notre Dame, that was very tough for me. Uh, we're now 500 as, as a team, 3-3. Lost that one-win Stanford team. It was absolutely brutal. I, I, my inverse reaction, Kurt, was like, I want to find the grotto. Is there a grotto in New York City? Is there a grotto in Queens? Can I light a candle and say a prayer for the team? That's kind of where we're at right now. But the NBA season just had opening night, and um, we had two games on the docket. That was the 76ers, Celtics, um, and which the Celtics won. Warriors, Lakers, Warriors won. What were your takeaways? Ring night and the whole fanfare to, to kick off the NBA season, Kurt? First off, I think the second game, the Lakers-Warriors, that was a well-done 
I like their ring ceremonies because they're not kind of too over the top and a little not too overstated. Like they got, they talked about Brittany Griner. They brought out a woman who coordinates the team in the back of the house. It was a family type of event. And the game itself, look, and we can sum this up pretty quickly with the headline. I used it to three things now that that's back every day, three things to know. The Lakers can't shoot. The Warriors can shoot. And that's your ball game. Like, that, <laughs> there wasn't much to that game. I thought the Celtics, I'd be curious what Drew thought. I thought the Celtics, I, I've, I was concerned about them without Robert Williams. They didn't get a lot of stops, but they that offense looked sharp. Yeah, I strongly agree. Uh, it was a fun event for us to see the Warriors banner raise. <laughs> uh, that third quarter wasn't very family friendly. <laughs> it was, uh, that was a beating. Uh, but uh, the still, you know, cool for the Warriors fans, obviously. And then, yeah, the Celtics, I do think there were some true takeaways from that Celtics um, uh uh, the Sixers game from a handicapping perspective uh, it was a huge macro angle uh, for handicapping totals and sides last year seeing the way that the refs uh, de-emphasized the uh, f- uh, free throw uh, um, awarding on the three-point shot and that was back and so kind of keeping track of if that's going to be a trend or if that was a one-up is important to kind of know as you're handicapping totals because both games flew over uh, the closing total there. Um, and uh, and then separately, uh, a lot of James Harden dribbling the basketball. Uh, he you know, obviously is sort of the center of the universe there for uh, their offense. Um, and, you know, what Doc Rivers does to kind of get uh, Embiid some more creative touches is going to be worth paying attention to. But on the but you, you mentioned sort of the, the key takeaway. The Boston Celtics offense is maybe even better than what we saw last year. And, you know, the loss of Robert Williams is going to potentially impact them in some high-profile games. Potentially, if you know, with against certain lineups, you thought maybe that one of them would be last night with Embiid in, on the court, but didn't end up mattering at all because of the length and the way that they doubled him. So, um, it is what it is. But uh, that offense is going to be clicking, and it looks like, at least to me. Celtics in general, they're going to be, uh, you know, an overs team uh, through the first uh, segment of this season. I'm always cautiously optimistic. You know, it's a long season game one. So for me, I'm kind of like, you know, it's too early. It's too early to tell. Too early yeah, to tell. Yeah. But you're right. The Celtics, the way they kind of didn't miss a beat, despite everything that they've been going through, the, you know, the yeah. scandal that they've been, you know, uh, dealing with. That was extremely impressive. And you, you mentioned Embiid. To me, I'm just going to go ahead and jump the gun here, if that's all right with you all. He's my MVP favorite. Yeah, you know, so I, I need to understand from a betting standpoint, am I, am, I, am, I, am I in a good spot, Drew? Wait, who, who, can you tell me the futures for, uh, for the sure. MVP now? Yeah, so a fun. There's a lot of fun ways to bet the NBA futures. Obviously, uh, sitting down and just predicting the winner is never necessarily the right way to go about oh. it. They often you know, awards <laughs> okay. markets. You know, awards markets are uh, you know kind of a, a more fun way to sort of attack the regular season specifically because you guys know you've covered the NBA for a long time. The regular season and the uh, and the playoffs they can be two entirely different animals. Right. It, health, rotations, all of the a lot of things change as you go from regular season to to playoffs. And you, most of the awards, they're voted on at the end of the regular season and they are very focused on regular season success. Teams that are successful, teams that are at the top of the standings generally scoop the lion's share of the awards. And, you know, you look at a team like the Philadelphia 76ers, which is expected to win, you know, 55, 60 games this year, you know, potentially be the one seed in the Eastern Conference. And if that is there, you know, if they hit the up the high end of their uh, expectation, then Embiid is almost, you know, surely going to be the guy that everybody gravitates to because number one, his usage and his offensive statistics are going to be eye popping. Uh, and he's, he's sort of their defensive anchor. Uh, and uh, beyond that, he's been 
climbing up. You know, he has pedigree. Everybody kind of has, is expecting him to take that step forward. He was the favorite for the balance of last season, and that matters. Uh, and so kind of handicapping the MVP a lot of times comes down to who is the voting block going to you know, give those awards to. They're going to tend to uh, you know, break in favor of uh, you know, the top seeds in each conference. And even more than that, you, know, you look at the odds right now, a, a guy like Nikola Jokic is down the board. And you can say, well, wait a second, how could the two-time reigning MVP be the fourth or fifth choice? There's a little bit of voter fatigue. They want to get to the next guy, like and you know the guy, you know the the other co-favorite besides Embiid, of course, is Luka Doncic, who everybody is dying to anoint as the next guy, right? And so you can kind of look at the awards market prices and kind of see a little bit of hopefulness in terms of like taking the next step, and and so that's sort of a huge key factor. It's so interesting to me in the photo fatigue. You know, if the guy's balling, in, in my opinion, it's like it's the same thing in football. It's like if Michael Mayer is is catching everything, he's the best tight end in football. Throw Michael Mayer the ball every play <laughs> until you stop us. You know, it's like hey, like if, if Jokic is balling, give him another MVP. Kurt, who do you have for MVP? I have Embiid too. Let me just say, as a voter, I really try hard not to let previous seasons and 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 historical precedent in, influence it. But if he Jokic is going to win the third one in a row. That is a level of MVP. I mean, that's now you're talking yeah, all-time remember. great players. Yeah, I'm not going to say Jokic can't win it because of that, but it will slightly factor, I think, into my decision. And he's going to he's going to have to just blow the field away. He's going to have to lap the field, for lack of a better way of phrasing it. Like it's going to be, have to be that kind of year for him. I picked Embiid, but I I wanted to ask Drew this. Usually. historically it has been a top three type of team. Like you've got to be wet. Your team's got to win 50 plus games and be up the ladder. You know, it wasn't that year. I mean, Jokic was, I think they were the sixth seed last year. He carried a large load, but is that, and you had Russell Westbrook a few years ago. Like, is that changing? Is, is, is it still that way? Or are you going to say, well, this guy's got the numbers and he's lifted his team higher. Like, I'm not sure that top three matters as much as it did a decade ago. Yeah, I there's a there's got to be a perfect storm element to it. If you think about who the top three seeds were in each conference last year, did they have a guy that you would have said was, you know, or specifically the top two seeds? You know, the Suns didn't have a standout performance beyond Booker, who you know effectively got all NBA consideration, but wasn't really ever a realistic consideration for MVP. Uh, you know, similarly, uh, Memphis Grizzlies, you know, they give John Morant the most improved player. That's your, you know, consolation prize. But uh, and then, on, you know, with the Celtics and the, the Heat, you just didn't have a consistent enough performer who you know who you know who uh, uh was incredible for the balance of the season even though Tatum at the end of the season and through the playoffs especially was unbelievable um you know and so I, I think in general it, it, you kind of only open the door if you have somebody who's doing what you know Jokic did last year in terms of um taking an otherwise lottery team to a like a clean playoff right because yeah. you know if if uh, I would also postulate if the Nuggets ended up as the seventh seed and they were playing in instead of cleanly in, um, then that would have given people an opportunity to not vote for him, even that considering was, his statistical profile. Like, you know, it was and it was a brutal choice last year. I mean, Embiid, oh, yeah. Jokic, and we're kind of leaving out this other guy, Giannis Antetokounmpo. <laughs> yeah, uh, right. Like those three, I don't want to say were interchangeable, but it was I was splitting hairs trying to figure out like where to take that. They, they, they were all really even. I think that 
it very much could be that way this year. By the way, my dark horse, if I were betting and looking for better odds because I picked Embiid, I'd be looking at Tatum. Yeah. Like, he, yeah. I, if the Celtics are what we were talking about earlier, if they're going to put up a lot of numbers at the start of the season and they're going to be a top couple seed in the East, he's the I mean, best player on the best team kind of thing. Yeah, I think you have to put Tatum ahead of guys like Giannis this year. I think you have to put him ahead of Kevin Durant this year. And a lot of it is because of team success. Celtics look at least, you know, from what we've seen so far, uh, that that team's going to win a lot of games. They're going to threaten to get the one seed. And uh, Tatum, uh, you know, if they're playing faster, which they which they are, apparently, if they're more offensively minded, which they may be based on what we've seen again in one a game sample, yeah. obviously, uh, then his, you know, his his points, rebounds, assists, numbers, his raw counting stats could be like eye popping. Uh, and if, you know, in a, in a year where you take a major step forward, uh, that gets you a lot of consideration as well from the voting block. And the funniest thing about this is, you know, the guy that had, I mean, yes, Embiid had 26 and 15, you know, in this game and Tatum, <laughs> and we know he had 35 points as well. Uh, but like James Harden had 35, eight and seven. <laughs> He's like the one guy we just completely got to, didn't even <laughs> mention. Uh, could he have any sort of MVP consideration? You think if he continues to put up those kind of stat lines throughout the season? I don't think he's ultimately going to get it because you're, he's going to have to leap Embiid in terms of being considered the best player on that team. You're definitely not winning MVP if you're kind of in the mindset of the, of the voting block that you're the second best player on that team. What does make interesting is if he splits votes from the Philadelphia block, right? Mm -hmm. You know, like if there's a potential, like they go back and forth and through stretches of the season, it's like, wow, Harden is really carrying them. Now Embiid is really carrying them. You get to the end of the season and you're like, well, Tatum did it all season for the Celtics and they're tied with the Sixers. The Sixers, they kind of shared the load. I'm going to attack Tatum, right? So I, I do think that there's potentially an opportunity where Harden overperforms and takes a little bit of the shine from Embiid. Well, it's funny because it's that's the exact same way I was thinking about the Celtics because you look at the stat line between Tatum and Brown, you know, and you could argue, well, yes, I understand Tatum, the, you know, he's the alpha, but, I mean, they both put up 35. And then look at the season last year, like at any given moment, either of them could kind of go off. I wonder, because last year me and Kerr were saying, the Celtics team, who's the defensive player of the year? Is it Robert Williams? Is it Marcus Smart? Does it split votes? Does someone else get it? And Marcus Smart ended up getting it. You know, so that's why I was asking the question. I was curious if you'd have a similar scenario. Yeah, and we we brought up two teams that may ultimately each split some you know some consideration here, which would open the door for someone like Luca, who if the Mavericks get a top th two top three seed in the West, you know he people are again dying to anoint him, and uh, he would be sort of the singular uh, you know considered alpha on that team. So very fa very fascinating, but uh, it kind of the the key takeaway boils down to team success you got to have high conviction that this is a team that's going to uh ultimately sit at the top of the table once the uh once the dust settles if you're going to make an mvp bet Dietz and watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever what's that mean it means never cutting corners ever it means cooking not processing it means our virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection then twice baked to layer the flavors it takes more time but you can taste the difference we come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Uh, next up, I want to get your thoughts on Coach of the Year. You know, our super producer, uh, Dan, is a Knicks fan. I, <laughs> I want to ask, uh, what, what's your take on that? Do you, think, do you think it could be uh, a New York coach? 
Yeah. Coach of the year. The archetype is very straightforward for coach of the year. You got to overperform somewhere to the tune of about 15 wins and you got to make the playoffs, right? So even if you're only expected to win about 20 and you win 35, if you're not in the playoff picture, you're not getting consideration. You look at what Cleveland and JB Bickerstaff happened last year, Cleveland way exceeded expectations, but they end up in the playing spot. They ultimately don't get into the playoffs and nobody voted for him. <laughs> it was like, okay, like he wasn't even really in the running. Um, and so I think, you know, generally it team success matters, but over, ex, you know, exceeding expectations is the more important aspect. Um, so you can basically rule off sort of, we expect the Celtics, we expect the Sixers, we expect the Bucks, we expect the Warriors, you know, you can kind of go through and sort of cross off a number of good teams and good coaches at the top, just because they're not going to surprise us <laughs> if they do well, they were supposed to do well. Uh, and so when it comes to picking your guy for coach of the year, you got to look down the board a little bit down the, you know, down the expected win totals a little bit and pick a, a team that you think surprises to the good. Even with Missoula, you think Joe Missoula, I mean, that, that was a bit of a surprise. Good in the question. Yeah. Missoula's a wild card. Cause yeah. again, like maybe expectations were a little bit low for him specifically. Uh, and so if the Celtics, you know, if they're threatening, you know, and again, you have situations where like, you know, the Warriors win 73 games, Steve Kerr is obviously going to get it right. Like you have some situations where if you, if you are doing historic things and, or, uh, you know, that coach in particular is, is not uh, thought highly of then, uh, you know, that that's where that usually comes from. But, you know, it kind of, the guy, the guy that fits the archetype the most to me, at least in, in the current, you know, in the current, um, environment, and he's sort of towards the top of the odds. So you're not getting huge value here, but it's Chris Finch for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, I think you look at sort of the balance of power between the East and the West and four of the five worst teams, arguably in terms of roster strength are in the West. Uh, I think you can say that uh, you know two of those teams are in the same division as Minnesota. On top of that, I think the Nuggets are a little overrated. And, uh, you know, I think realistically Portland is also a little overrated by market. So Timberwolves may be a clear path to win their division, at which point, uh, you know, if they're compiling wins, if they're getting to, say, 55, uh, maybe even 60, and they were expected to win 45, 48. Uh, now you're talking about, uh, you know, a guy that if he clinches the one seed, Finch would probably be the most likely choice. Um, there's a lot of cases you can make further down the board with bigger odds, but uh, kind of those are sort of long shot. Everything needs to go right. I'm thinking of like the Mike Browns of the world, like the Kings, like shock everyone and get a five, six seed. Like that's the corollary to that's the Tom Thibodeau. Yeah. <laughs> it probably won't happen, but, yeah. But that's, you know, like you wonder how does Tom Thibodeau win this world a couple years ago? The Knicks weren't expected to be anything and they go and they get a four seed and they, you know, that it was, it was uh, such a great story on top of the fact that you have the New York media kind of supporting his, uh, you know, candidacy because of, uh, you know, how much, you know, how centric the media block is around the New York metro area. And, uh, you know, it was a perfect storm. So I don't necessarily see that happening for Thibodeau this year uh, or Mike Brown, but uh, those are kind of the long shot archetypes that you would look for. Yeah, sorry about that, Dan. Kurt, what do you what do you think? Yeah, I picked in my prediction post. I picked Chris Finch to win it all. Oh. Uh, we're winning most most uh, you know coach of the year in part because look when you, he mentioned part of it, which is look, Eric Spolster is the best coach in the NBA. But you know what? The Heat are going to be good. Like it's just they're they're they can keep having injuries and 
Gabe Vincent, shout out UC Santa Barbara. Gabe Vincent's going to come up and, and play well for them. They're going to find somebody else, right? Like they're, you know, Yurtsevin's going to have a blow up year for them. They're just going to keep finding guys. So it's kind of the problem. Your Spurs, Greg Popovich doesn't have nearly as many coach of the years as he should have because we just expected them to win 50 games every year. So Finch, uh, the other part of it is you watch the Spurs, like the Warriors last night. Um, it's easy to see how all the pieces fit together. You're like, oh man, Steph Curry moving guys around, mobile, the passing of, of Draymond Green, like all the players, the puzzle pieces fit beautifully. That's not Minnesota. <laughs> That's some odd fitting puzzle pieces. And I think if he can get them into the, you know, top four, top five, top six, you know, kind of depends on how close things are to like top six, but only two games out of top two is very different than, you know, other things. But at the end of the day, I, I think he's got, he's got some of the toughest puzzle pieces to fit together. And if it works, if he's winning with two bigs in the NBA right now, like that's, that's going to say something. It's going to be cool. Yeah. Yes. It's so fascinating to me to hear, you know, all the, the long shots versus, I mean, I think you're kind of on point here. The, the Minnesota train is a, is the one that I might get on the six men of the year though, to me, is a little bit more of a, a wild card question. I really thought about this. You know, who do you have for six man year? Kurt, I would love to hear for your perspective. Who did you who did you pick? I think there's one obvious choice, um, and it's if I'm Drew, I'm not betting it because the odds aren't going to be very good. <laughs> but Jordan Poole is kind of the clear guy to beat for this award. He is going to put up monster numbers on a very good team. Um, he's the only real question is, does he start too many games? Like, That's what the, I was going to say. I was going to say, Jordan Poole started a lot of games last year. They're going to, you know, that there's going to be plenty of, they won't call it load management. They'll come up with a more creative term. Um, but both Clay Thompson, who's going to get some time off early and they're already limiting his minutes, Steph Curry is going to get time off. That might put Jordan Poole into too many wins. Uh, I think we might have seen the other leading candidate, though. Um, Malcolm Brogdon looked was really good. good coming off the bench for Boston last night. And then that's a, I don't. I don't know what the odds are, but I think that's a sneaky good pick. But I know I my prediction was pool just because it's, yeah. it's obvious. But he's that's an award, Drew. I'd be curious to hear the archetype because to me, it's like how many points? Did you, it's really a yeah. numbers game. Yeah, it is a numbers game, which means first of all, only look at shooting guards. I mean, almost, almost exclusively. Like, don't, don't overthink it. Find a guy, find a guy with the ball in his hands because those are the guys on the bench who score. Uh, if you're not scoring, you're not in consideration off the bench. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it tends to come from uh, and come with uh, uh, some understanding of, yeah, this guy is good. And, you know, and Jordan Poole clearly has sort of that pedigree, right? You know, even if you are scoring a lot, if you're kind of a, t- a player who have not a lot of, people know about and not a lot of people are paying attention to you're gonna be like yeah but you know he was he was doing it against the second unit like people know jordan Poole is good right like tyler hero last year he was the obvious pick because you know, people knew he was like oh this guy is good and he's coming off the bench and oh by the way he's in the close he's playing closing minutes and he's he has a really well-defined role on a good team like that is a pretty important archetype and the sharpest betting group I know has an enormous stick in pool being the six man of the year this year. They, and they, and I, the guy, guy who kind of originated this, I talked to him and I was like, man, what if clay is just not the same guy? What if ultimately like they have to make the switch, you know, if things aren't going as well, if they're not winning, like they got to put pool in the starting lineup. Like, are you worried? And he is like, clay is going to be fine. 
He's going to start the whole year. There's way too much sort of longstanding. Uh, you know, there's way too, way too many, even, even if it's not going well, we're just going to, uh, you know, first time out, we pulled the switch, you know, and he ends up getting, you know, 35 minutes a game anyway off the bench. But, you know, it seems pretty clear, at least Poole's role for now, outside of injury, uh, is well-defined as a sixth-man role. And the idea that any of the other candidates are going to threaten him in terms of scoring output it is a very, very tough case to make. Now, all that said, there can be surprises. The market itself is very poorly informed in this case you look at it right now tyler hero is your co-favorite basically he's starting we know this (laughs) like eric spolster has said it multiple times this offseason why he's well yeah why he why he's even in the market at all right when he's virtually going to get no consideration is is a is a huge leak uh and there are a lot of guys like this you kind of just go down the list you know there are a lot of guys cameron johnson is in this pool he is starting. Uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich is in this pool. He is starting. Uh, you know, and you know, don't exactly know what's going to go on in Dallas. Dallas is sort of the wild card here because Christian Wood and Dinwiddie are coming off the bench, and both of those guys could ultimately put together some pretty impressive offensive numbers. Um, but uh, the idea that this is pools to lose, and you know, Kurt, you brought up four. It's four to one. You know, that's not that's not a super oh. Yeah, this is going to retire on this, right? But at the same time, somebody told you, hey, I have a six-month investment that pays four to one. That's not bad. <laughs> like, it's really, it's not a, it's not a bad, bad turnaround. So, you know, I, I, I think say, I I've kind of come around a long, a long way to get to the pool. Yeah, to get to the pool. Yeah, I mean, I, I have not seen a pool in a minute. I'm not like in L.A. with you guys. Like, her, I think, looks outside, <laughs> he sees a pool. Uh, but, yeah, it's, <laughs> Jordan, uh, Jordan Poole, just, just for clarification, clarification, started 51 games last year. And that's, like I said, that's the one thing I'm like, man, that's a lot of games. And I understand yeah. what you're saying about Clay Thompson. And I also want to just, you know, preface this. I understand, you know, the Tyler Hero, he's starting. Uh, but some of these other names, I, I do wonder – Will we see lineup changes in the NBA? Yeah, we yeah, see so many different lineups as we're talking about. Everyone's kind of still testing the preseason. Your starters aren't really playing as much. Um, so I do wonder which of those guys will go back to the second unit and get a permanent spot there, uh, which are currently in the starting lineup. So I just want to throw that out. There. Yeah. I think the key then is pay attention. Listen to what the coaches are telling you. Like, because <laughs> that's because again, like the MVP market is sharp. Defensive player of the year market is sharp. Coach of the year market is sharp. Like, that, like there is not, you know, you, it's standings, it's efficiencies, it's statistics. All of that is straightforward. Even knowing who is going to get consideration for this one, and similarly with we'll get to most improved player, it's kind of more of a just feeling out what's sort of the vibe of the voting block. What's the you know who's getting what role and responsibility because it is going to change throughout the season. The the watermark for starting too many games is roughly twenty five. If you start more than twenty five games, you kind of lose consideration with a lot of voters, uh, and so that's sort of a key number to look at. But if there is a good shooting guard who loses his starting role but is filling it up off the bench. Uh, yeah, you, you could find a long shot price on that guy before the rest of the market realizes he's even in consideration. And he's talking about an ultimate dark horse, James Wiseman, <laughs> a big guy coming off the bench huh? who gets eight and seven. And that's, that's about a dark horse as it gets. Uh, but anyways, uh, rookie of the year, let's move, let's move on to um, this is going to be an interesting question. We I, I agree with Kurt's article. I'm, I, I'm not going to spoil it. So I'm going to go straight to Kurt for this one. Who do you have for rookie of the year? I, this is sort of to me like six man of the year where there is a clear favorite for good reason. And it's Paolo Bancaro who 
impressed me at summer league. He's got great handles for his size, but he's going to have the ball in his hands on a terrible team. That's going to need him to do this. And he fills a desperate need for them, right? Like they just, Orlando doesn't have shot creators. And I, I like Cole Anthony. He's fine. Like Markel Fultz will show up at some point, but the ball is going to be in Bancaro's hands. He's going to put up numbers. He's going to look good. Um, I, again, I'm not sure that the betting odds are that great, but he's kind of a clear favorite to me. Um, I think there are really interesting dark horses though, that if, if for whatever reason, it's not Bancaro, um, we, we can talk about Sacramento and Keegan Murray. We can talk about Indiana with Mathurian. Like, I think there's really interesting kind of long shot players, but I just, I don't see how you don't pick Bancaro here as, as the favorite. Yeah. Something's going to happen. It would have to be injury that would derail that case in my mind and, or some other rookie just being well beyond expectation for a huge balance of the season. The archetype for rookie of the year is you do not have to be on a winning team. In fact, it's rare. Like last year where they were picking between Mobley and Barnes, it was like, man, like, Two, two rookies that were meaningful contributors to, you know, playoff play in teams like that was a, that's the exception, not the rule. Um, and it's and uh, and the reason that that is, is because to get rookie of the year, you need volume. You need usage. <laughs> and there are very, very rarely do you have a team that is fighting for a playoff spot that is giving volume and usage to a rookie. Uh, so I think, uh, you know, I think for all those reasons, expecting a Banchero, expecting a Keegan Murray, even, yeah, you, met, you mentioned Benedict Matherin. He was the hot sort of the, the sharp play. Uh, I saw him get bet down from like 12 to one all the way down to four to one. So he's now basically your second shot uh, in that market, which is pretty incredible. Um, and, uh, you know, there's been a little bit of chaos in this market as well, because coming out of the draft, Chet was your favorite. Um, and uh, and so, yeah, this is this is definitely a one to keep a close eye on. Um, the other kind of thing I can add wrinkle wise, it very rarely goes wire to wire. Yo. There is such a thing that is called the rookie wall. And it is not, you know, that's not, that's not a, uh, that's not a fluke, right? Uh, you get, if you're, if you're doing well through November, December, January, you are going to get tired in, in February, March, and, and April. You're going from a 33 game season. If you were on a very good college team to a 82 game season, that is a huge adjustment for a young person. Um, so I think realistically uh, keeping an eye on this market, checking in on it around, all-Star break, you know, Martin Luther King Day, All-Star break. Those are kind of when there's big pivots usually uh, in the rookie of the year betting market. Uh, and kind of, again, keeping track of role, responsibility, volume, and using those as your you know, kind of key guiding principles is, is going to help you find some, uh, some value there. The only other thing I can uh, kind of add is um, beyond just the pivot of guys getting tired, a lot of these awards, in rookie of the year in particular, it's how you finished. And so that's, you know, what, what am I, you know, you know, what have you learned over the balance of the season? Have you improved, right? We've had rookie of the year winners who started out very poorly, but by the end of the season, it was like, well, this guy is, this guy belongs. He's in the league. He's going to be a star and you know, he gets consideration. So that is another common arc. You want to see development. You want to see them finish well. Uh, and so for those reasons, a lot of rookie, the, a lot of the best bets I've ever made rookie of the year, they're coming in February and March. Wow. Okay. Maybe maybe if you just that, look that finishing in. strong was the difference last year. I think in Barnes getting it over Mobley. Hundred percent. Right? Yeah. No. That's okay, a guy so who from Mobley. So you know what do I know? <laughs> yeah, but you're also he, really he, a big he fan should, of Mobley. Like you, you know what I'm saying? Like all season long, you've been telling me, oh man, Evan Mobley is the next big big thing. So 
uh, yeah. comeback player of the year. So this one is an interesting one for me. To me, my eyes go straight to John Wall. Uh, but once again, I'm not a betting analyst. So this is just like, you know, this is just me saying from when I watch basketball, like an interesting kind of see uh, what, who do you think, Kurt, for comeback of the year? Uh, comeback, which was the old, they, they changed the award to most improved. So like the official betting oh, line to most improved is a little different than like, actually my come, if there was, I kind of, kind of wish it was That's comeback because I think that would be interesting with wish Wall, with Brogdon. Like I, I thought that, that would might be more interesting than most improved. Yeah, I think they yeah, should yeah, absolutely both. Improved, do both. Yeah, because I was thinking like the Alex Smith comeback in the year. That was my my mistake. I was reading the wrong thing. But I, I was thinking, man, like that was you know a great comeback story. Most improved player. Excuse me. I, I I picked Tyrese Halliburton, but I will just say up front, I find this the hardest award to predict because the very basis of it is, hey, who got better, and and in in a sense, who didn't we expect to get better, but also who made an improvement. But it often goes to, and I th- I'm curious what Drew says about this. I think it often goes to a guy who is good, who just gets more opportunity. And that's kind of the Tyrese Halliburton model, right? Like, here's Halliburton's really good. The, the whole league, when he got traded last year, was like, they traded him? Are you kidding me? <laughs> like, <laughs> they were surprised by that. A lot of people around the league were surprised by that. Yeah. Um, and I get why they did it. But, like, Halliburton's going to get an opportunity in, in Indiana that he never was going to get next to De'Aaron Fox in Sacramento. So his numbers are going to go up. And I think that might win him the award, even if he doesn't take the largest step forward in his game. It'll be interesting to see. Yeah. So super interesting archetype here. This is a fluid award because as you kind of mentioned, it used to be treated a little differently. Now it's sort of, this is why we give a guy the award. Now John Morant was your winner last year. Uh, And it tends to, you know, there's a little bit of a, it, we we reward a young guy who makes a year two, year three kind of leap, right? And the leap that that generally distinguishes the winner is first time All Star. If you are making the All Star team for the first time, even as a bench player, you know that that's like a demarcation of okay, now you're a guy, and you know you, you that usually comes along with some other clear markers, like your scoring goes from mid high teens to low twenties, right? You're, you're generally uh, looking at uh, players who are, you know, more on the guard, small forwards side, not necessarily um, recognized for their defensive roles, more for their offensive contributions. So those are kind of the general markers that are guiding this. Um, And again, you know, if you want to say Indiana gets one all-star, is it going to be Halliburton? Probably <laughs> like that makes sense in my mind. Uh, and so if he gets his first all-star tab this year because of his performance through the first half of the season, he's probably got this locked up by February because this is the opposite of the um, uh, of the rookie of the year where once people have kind of decided who it is by the middle of the season, it takes a lot to really shake the market up at that point. John Morant was maybe minus 2000 in this market by all-star you know, break last year. And, you know, other guys got consideration and rightfully so. Um, but, you know, he ultimately had too much, too, too much of a, a, a stranglehold on, on the award by the time we got to the halfway point of the season. So um, it'll be pretty clear who emerges. Ultimately, I can tell you that the betting market does not have consensus in this department at all. Uh, you go to talk to different groups, different sharp players, and they will all kind of make a different case. Uh, for who it ought to be. I've heard cases for Jalen Brunson. I've heard cases for Halliburton. Uh, Anthony Edwards is your favorite, which I do not agree with. I think that's going to take – his 
his scoring was so high last year that he's going to have to take an even you know, monumental leap in terms of scoring output and his inconsistency concerns me in terms of just just what his averages are going to look like. Um, so I think you can bet against the favorite here. Second favorite was Zion, which, I, okay. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it's going to be so, so hard for people to look at what happened last season and say, yes, you are the most improved. Um, but that's, you know, that, you know, the people are expecting a big year from him, I guess. Um, the sharper players I've, I've heard make other cases for, and the most action in the market has, we've seen a ton uh, of movement uh, for Tyrese Maxey. Uh, he at one point was 30 to one uh, for the Sixers. He's been bet down to the 15 to one, 12 to one range. Um, and the case there is pretty straightforward, which is he could be your third all-star for the Sixers. If that team has, you know, if they're, you know, if they're overperforming win loss come all-star break, he could be the guy. He's obviously likely to take a step forward from a scoring standpoint, just based on his chemistry with James Harden and playing a full season with him. Uh, and uh, he would have to go from say 17 points a game last year to 22, 23 this year to get the, uh, the look. But um, ultimately uh, this one is a very, very tough handicap. Uh, and uh, it's, entirely possible that a, a wild long shot ultimately wins. Corey, can, I, can, I don't need to interrupt you, Corey, but can I ask you, because so, I'm curious your, both of your opinions on this, but I'll start with Corey. I, look, I voted for Jaw last year and I got a lot of pushback from people who said it shouldn't go to a star. And this came, including from NBA players who's like, hey, this award isn't for stars. This is for role players who maybe make a leap to star level or somebody else. Do you feel that way about the award, A, and B, how does that impact Anthony Edwards, who is yeah. Adam Sandler Adam Sandler would like to tell you he's a star, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, of course. of course. I there there's gonna be there's he has he's gonna he's got some tra- challenging water to go through. Same with Kate Cunningham, who's in this mix too, because like those were number one picks. Like they were expected to be good. So how do you make that much of an improvement that you get that MIP award? Um, But I agreed that Ja was the correct decision last year. He made the greatest leap. If you want to just step back and say, most improved player goes to the guy that improved the most. It was Ja Morant last year. And I don't think anyone yeah. can really make a, a careful, you know, he went, he, he really took a step forward. And I, and I honestly... Yeah, I think Jaw was. I mean, at one point he was in the MVP conversation, and I yeah, don't think right. the most improved. That's that's the that's the deal breaker for me. If you're in the MVP conversation, then you've graduated from the most improved conversation. You know, you're no longer in that conversation. You you've outpaced everyone there. Yeah, like and you, you know any who guys you mentioned. Like, no one's saying Kate Cunningham's going to be in the MVP conversation. Like true, those those are no, no longer his peers. So that's why I think the argument there was saying that it didn't feel right because Jaw was competing against Steph. Yeah. And, and Giannis yeah. and Joel Embiid and Jokic, you know, like yeah. he wasn't competing against whoever else was in that conversation. This very famously hurt Luka Doncic uh, in the year that Brandon Ingram won, um, because Luka, Luka that year, if you just go based on sort of the kind of advanced metrics, Luka made a leap to superstar in a year that not a lot of people expected it. Uh, but because he was kind of in that MVP discussion, otherwise, uh, you know, he was kind of he was ruled out of consideration and Brandon Ingram ultimately won. Um, and I think one thing that kind of factored into jaw winning last year, and this is speculation, I don't know this for sure, but the Grizzlies were awesome, like way beyond expectation. They get the two seed for crying out loud, like nobody really saw that coming. And I think the other thing that happens when a ballot gets submitted the end of the season 
you're sharing the credit, right? You're, you're kind of trying to pick a guy on every team to get some recognition for the teams that you really deserved it. And the Grizzlies deserved recognition last year in some way. Jaron Jackson Jr. Didn't get it for defensive player of the year. Uh, I can't remember. I don't, uh, did they, did they win coach of the year? No, he came in. He came in second or third, he came right? In second, Mon- and I'm going blank, blank though. Yeah, Suns Yeah, Monty, oh, Monty, Williams, you're right. Yeah. And again, Monty, why did Monty Williams win? He had no, no other Suns get an award, right? They had no six man. They had no most improved. They had no defensive player. They had no MVP. Like you needed to acknowledge this regular season that the Suns had, and so Monty Williams ultimately was the guy. I think some of the MIP to Ja was a matter of. Uh, hey, look, like, number one, we all decided that he was the guy at midseason before we knew he was going to continue to improve because he continued to get better even after the All-Star break and was like, oh, cool, John made a leap to All-Star, great. Oh, actually, he's now in the MVP discussion. Like, you know, so you, I, I think that was there was some of that in the in kind of the way that that played out. Um, but ultimately, the Grizzlies needed an award, and it, all, it, came, it came out that he was the guy that got, that got it. Yeah, I, I think just to answer your, your question, uh, Kurt, my, my whole thought process is, you know, if you are rookie of the year, then go into like a, you know, like there's like a there's like a, a trajectory to being one of the top echelons of the NBA, you know, and that more or less is like you're in the rookie of the year conversation, finalist or rookie of the year, then you become like an all star, then you're like all NBA MVP consideration, you know, like you like those that's kind of the path that we saw John take, like he kind of was above that. So I think now what's fascinating for me is to see, well, where does the most improved player go? Because Drew was like, it's the biggest leap. Traditionally, you think on any team, you know, on any level from high school, middle school, college, the most improved player is someone like you said, who takes like a role player who takes a, a big leap, but it's still not, you know, the alpha or the, or like the, the top two players. That's kind of where that region has been. You want to give those people recognition. If we see a trend shifting to where more Drew's vision of like, well, actually, most improved should just like acknowledge, you know, whoever is increasing like their their skill set, like whoever learned the best or whoever took the biggest leap, that would be a fascinating change for their award from, from a fundamental level. And I don't know if that's gonna like last, you know, if it was just like a like you said, a correction because hey, the Memphis Grizzlies needed an award, so let's give it a job. You know, I, I think it's gonna revert back to what it has always been. Uh, here's one other key point. Guys like you. Kurt, in particular, who is writing about this, you have influence on this sort of stuff because some of the voting block will literally be like, gosh, what should we do? And they'll read a post from Kurt in the middle of the season that's like, so far, it got to look, got to be Ja, right? And if, if, if Kurt's saying it, if Zach Lowe's saying it, if, if everybody in sort of the thought leadership department is saying that stuff and is writing about it, that's, that can cement a guy an award before we even get there. And so if, if, for, if there's no guy who's make, made that sort of leap this year, but you get to the all-star break and people are like, my mid-season award for most improved goes to blank, and everybody agrees, then, then that's the guy. <laughs> and that's I, why. And it's funny. I don't put together a list until mid-season. It's just kind of a personal thing. Sure. But there are podcasts out there. There are stories out there a month into the season, like, oh my gosh. And, and early in the season, Steph Curry's running away with MVP last sure. year. And like it, 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 to me, it's too early, but I think you are spot on that it influences the market. Sure. Next up, defensive player of the year. Uh, who do you think is going to be a repeat of Marcus Smart? Kurt? No. What do you think? No, I don't think Marcus Smart gets to repeat. Um, 
especially if that first game was any indication of what it's going to to um, look like. And I, I wanted to go with Robert Williams, and, and he wasn't there. I think that this year feels a little more wide open than than most years. Rudy Gobert is kind of an obvious choice just because I think Minnesota's defense is going to be better and we're going to kind of be reminded what he's going to do. But I, I picked Bam Adebayo. I think that, that Bam's versatility on defense, I think we keep seeing it year after year after year. I think if the Heat have a really strong defensive season, he's – I just think he's one of the best defensive centers out there. I think he's going to get recognized for it, but we'll see. I, I – it, I think it does you – no, know, I'd be curious what Drew thinks. I think it goes back to a big man this year. I think the guard thing was – I don't want to say it was a one-off because Mikhail Bridges is out there and some other guys will make a case, but I got a feeling it was kind of a one-off. I completely agree with that. Uh, I think historically you're looking for bigs. And I think uh, Bam last year was probably going to win it uh, if the Heat finished top five team defense. But they slipped at the end of the year. They slid out of the top five, and – Again, kind of in the mindset of sharing awards, Tyler Hero already had six man. We've given the Heat an award. And so do they really deserve two, even in getting the one seed, even though we didn't expect it? Uh, we'll give it to the Celtics who got the two seed. That's their, you know, like it, it, the, the DPOI kind of became the Celtics award because no, you didn't have anything else to give that team, right? And so I think that definitely, again, is another kind of part that, you know, you know plays a part in this. And Rudy could ultimately be hurt if Chris Finch is the runaway coach of the year candidate, right? Like it could be a very much a, um, you know, a, a sun situation where their recognition is Finch and then deep defensive play of the year goes to some other team that has a very good defense. But I would have to say Rudy is still a little underpriced by market because he is the best defensive player in, in the league. Um, he did not get consideration at all last year because of two reasons. One was voter fatigue, and the other was the Jazz defense was nowhere close to your team defense, was nowhere close. Now, he, he was still amazing. <laughs> he was still the player. His, his, his defensive statistics and you know advanced statistics, flat, you know, just plateau. He is just cruising right along as the best defensive player in the NBA. Um, and, but, that, but, you know, there was fatigue, and the team did not warrant consideration for that award overall, so he didn't really get it. And so I think the, there's a little bit of a conception coming into this season that the Minnesota Timberwolves aren't great, weren't great defensively last year, even though they were kind of in the league average range. And if they are clearly top five or even top one or two because of the addition of Gobert, then it's going to be very, very, very hard for anyone to take it away from him. If anyone does, though, it's probably going to be Bam because Bam is very well liked and he has improved every year and he is the anchor of that defense. And if the Heat are kind of in the mix for any award this year. It's just, that's going to be it. Um, and so I think, um, you know, ultimately this is Rudy or Bam. And a lot of it comes down to, can you finish in the top five in terms of team defense? Because that's the demarcation for every award we've seen, as long as I can remember. Yeah, it's, it's just so funny to me hearing, hearing how you um, yeah, kind of like break down all the, you know, the, the thought process. It's true. I mean, the athlete part of me is, is like squeaming, squeaming, like squirming in my, in my seat because I'm like, man, like if, if you're good, you should get, it's a meritocracy, not sure. you know, voter fatigue or, oh, this routine already has uh, has an award. Just the, team, the guy deserves to give it to him, especially when you think about someone's like legacy. You know, like if, of course, if four yeah. DPOYs, you know, or whatever, or like if Nicola Jokic we talked about before, 
three MVPs in the conversation with guys like Larry Bird. You know, that could yeah. that's, that's like a crazy God. amount of legacy to think you, about. And if you bring up because like, oh, they already got an award, a team you, award. You that's bring up crazy. a great point. This would be four for Rudy if he wins. And that would tie him with, as most all time with Mutombo and Ben Wallace. Right. So he's he's we're talking rare air, all time defense. And which means if he doesn't help Minnesota make a leap into top two or three, maybe that's the bar for them. Maybe Minnesota needs to be a top three defense in order for him to win it. Otherwise, they'll hold, you know, it will be held against him that we can't give you a fourth one of these awards if you didn't even, you know, do what we expected you to do on a team with another big. Right. So it's, 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 it's very possible that that could ultimately penalize him and it could kick it into the BAMS territory. That, that, that other big isn't the best defender in the world. Although he was better last year, but, but, Call Anthony Towns special. Not even. <laughs> I do think, though, you nailed one thing, which is with Boston last year, there was a sense of they were not just better defensively. They were, like, by far yeah. the best. After the last 40 games of the season, second half of the season, that was a dominant defensive performance. And there was a sense of, well, how do you, how, how do you credit that? Yeah. Is it Robert 100%. Williams? Is it Marcus Smart? And the, and the reality is what part of what made them – look, Marcus Smart's a great defender. I don't want to take – anything away from them sure. part of what made them a great defense is everybody on that team could defend right yeah. like all five starters brown tatum like on down the line all those yeah. guys can defend and are two-way which makes them a good defense because there's not a weak link to go out there's not a i mean james harden is going to get targeted at points by the way tyrese maxi was a traffic cone in the opening oh, game yeah. like oh, yeah. he was not good defense like giving teams targets there just isn't one on boston Right. There just isn't one. No, 100%. The the last one I want to get your opinion on because we're running low in time is uh, the future NBA champion. So uh, who do you have? um, Let's start with Drew here. What what is what's the archetype? Okay, so (laughs) (laughs) it's not always the best team, but there are you have to pick from a handful of teams. Right. You know, they're they're realistically you have to narrow down your your contenders. And um, the way you bet into this market is different than the way a lot of, you know, if you're new to betting, if you're, you know, if, even if you're not betting, but you're thinking about it and you're just wondering how this works, um, no one who's doing this at a professional level sits down and looks into the crystal ball and says, that's my team this year. I'm going to go make that future bet. And we're ride or die. Right. Even though I'm, I'm very high on the Timberwolves this year, I'm not just going to bet the Timberwolves, put it in my pocket, ride or die. You know, we, we, we win, we lose. We, this is this. It's this is my only bet. Right. What you're the entire approach to betting a futures portfolio, because you can get big liquidity like these. The awards markets are a little bit thinner, not as big of a pool. You can't get quite as big of a bet down. But then the futures market, you can name your price pretty much. And people will write that bet. And so uh, in general, you want to approach it as am I betting a team that the price is going to move in my direction? It's like the stock market almost entirely. Like you're literally saying, is there some event, you know, some, some expectation here that this price will get, will improve. Will it move in my direction? Because if there's not, then you absolutely have no reason to bet it. Let's look specifically at the Celtics. The Celtics are going to be without Robert Williams for a half season. When he comes back, if everybody else is healthy, that will be the best team in the NBA by my numbers. And it's not going to be close, right? But the chances of them looking as good as they looked in night one 
for the entirety of the time he's gone and for them to be an unblemished at the top of the Eastern Conference, I'd put that a little low. There'll be some growing pains. They'll have some nights where they take off. They'll have some nights where their defense just isn't working and they're getting torched. Like that's very realistic expectation between now and Robert Williams return. And so betting a Celtics position now, because you have a feeling that they're going to be the ones ultimately at the end of the day is doesn't make sense to me because you, you, you wake up in January, you wake up in February, Robert Williams is on the, on the cusp of returning. The team itself is starting to come together. You know, that's, that's when you want to make that bet. So timing your market entry in the futures market is basically is everything. And I would look specifically at uh, teams like the Timberwolves now, because the Timberwolves to me stand a decent chance of moving one way, only going in, you know, in the direction of, Oh, okay. They, their schedule very, very easy in the months of October, November, getting to the top of the standings in the Western conference. The other Western conference contenders are going to load manage, uh, you know, a lot of positive, you know, suns potentially stay, take a step backwards. Uh, Grizzlies potentially take a step backwards with no Jaron Jackson jr. Right? Like there are a lot of other you know, positive reasons that tell you, you wake up on Christmas, Timberwolves are your clear number one in the West. And at that point, the market is going to have moved their price pretty substantially. The question is, what do you do then? Then you go and you scoop value on the other teams that you think maybe have a more realistic chance. Because I got to tell you, as great as I feel about the Timberwolves in the regular season, they have significant problems in a playoff matchup against the Warriors, against the Clippers, against the Mavericks. And so the likelihood that their path avoids all three of those in the playoffs, not great. Uh, And so I think realistically, it's about filling out a portfolio. It's about getting the best price available over the balance of the season. And for now, at least, I can only really take a shot on the the Timberwolves. Kurt? Um, I'm forced to actually make a prediction. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I have the Bucs winning it all out of the East. And it's largely because I just trust them. I, I... Philadelphia, I've got questions about, even if they, like, I, again, I, one game I'm not going to judge them on, but James Harden, deep in the playoffs, I got concerns. Adversity is coming to Boston in some form. How does yep. Jill Missoula handle it? How do they handle it? That looked great opening night, but that's one night. Let's see what happens over a course of time. I just trust the Bucks. They think they know who they are. They know what they want to do. They defend well. By the way, they have the best player walk in the face of the earth and Giannis Antetokounmpo. Like, I just, I trust them. I've got them beating the my bet I'm not really out on a huge limb here. Drew will tell you, I have the Clippers coming out of the E the West. I just, it's a bet on health. It's a bet on, Hey, Kawhi Leonard. They're going to, they they're deep enough to load manage Kawhi Leonard and Paul George to get them to the postseason healthy. Then Kawhi Leonard can be Toronto, San Antonio, Kawhi Leonard and finals MVP Kawhi Leonard and lift this team up. That's kind of the thinking. I know the warriors are going to be good. I'm, and then there's after that, Denver's got to show me. I, I think Memphis plateaus a little this year. I think they're going to be there in a couple of years. I just think they plateau. I'm, I'm a little less sold on. I'm, he mentioned it, I'm a little less sold on Phoenix. So I, I think it's the Warriors or the Clippers, and I'm going to take the Clippers. Just, it's got to happen some year, right? Like they, they can't have bad luck every year, right? Yeah, uh, I think you're right. But, Mm. <laughs> so I, I feel like I feel like you're you're you're, you're I, I get what you're saying, but for me, it has to be. I mean, when I when I think about basketball, when I think about you know this uh, all, all, this season, the Warriors to me are just like 
the depth they have. I mean, this is this is not from you know, like a betting standpoint. This is just from a basketball standpoint. I mean, the depth they have, the the leadership, the culture. You know, despite the whole everything that's going on with Draymond, that is the one question that I have there. But I don't think it derails the season. And then the Celtics. I mean, they're so close. So to me, I'm like, it's for I, every other team. I'm not really worried about at the current moment. Those two have like all my attention. So if I had to pick one, I'm actually going to go Warriors repeating. I, I think Ooh. I think it's going to. Like I said, that's just purely basketball. I don't know what the numbers I, look like there. I look, they're fully capable of it. And I'm by the way, I will completely agree with you on this. I think if I think there are serious questions about what the future of this team looks like and its chemistry, but I don't think it affects them this year. I, I they are so used to playing with each other, and they are. The result of that whole not suspending Draymond is a sign that they are all in on this year. They don't, whatever happens down the future, whatever happens with Draymond's contract, and we don't have the 45 minutes to get into that. Like, whatever <laughs> happens with, with all of that zoo doesn't matter until June. And they, they are fully capable of being there. I don't, I don't think they're going to be distracted. Okay. Yeah, they're, they're the one team in my mind, like, you know, Philadelphia, I feel like they would get derailed. Like we saw this, right? You know, with Ben Simmons, they got derailed. Brooklyn gets derailed. I feel like most teams in the NBA gets derailed. Like, I feel like the Suns will get derailed for all the drama. But the Warriors, like you said, they're all in. I think this is like the one time where they're thinking, this is probably going to be the end of the dynasty. This is the year. Uh, can we, you know, go with a bang? Uh, I think they I think they will. So well, when the, we the, enter- the, 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 real quick, the basketball gods, if they give us something good, good, they'll give us Nets Warriors. Kevin Durant versus the Warriors in the finals would, would you, be. Would you it, bet? Would you? Would you? How much do you guys trust the Nets? I mean, that's kind of the question because the talent's there. Like on, the, the the question isn't the talent on the roster. It's, of course, yeah. That, do it, you trust it, them? If, if they're fully healthy, I like that team from a like a closing five. I like Simmons. Put Simmons at the five. Get a couple shooters around KD and Kyrie, and they are they're going to be very 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 tough to stop. Uh, but I just from a from a wanting to see it and the fan standpoint of it, man, a, a, a KD versus the Golden State Warriors is is a repeat versus KD trying to cement his decision to go to Brooklyn. That would be as good of a story as you could write. So when we talk about um, the NBA, one thing we always do a fun segment. You know, one thing that I love about the NBA is it seems like you know for my family, it's always been traditions. We used to go to All Star Weekend every year. You know, there's always kind of been things, Christmas Day games. But but the beginning of the season is an interesting one. So I wanted to ask both of you. Let's, let's start with uh, Drew. What is your uh, tradition to start off? You know, uh, the NBA season. Do you do anything special? Yeah. So we do we do we do a trip right on the eve of the start of the season so that we can, you know, kind of connect as a family. And then because, uh, you know, once NBA comes around and that there's games every single day and it turns into a little bit of a grind throughout the winter, uh, it's good to just have uh, kind of a, a, a final uh, great trip and travel. And so we did wine country this year and then, and then toured up the coast of California. It was absolutely beautiful, spectacular weather uh, and uh, great wine. So uh, I'm ready. I'm recharged. Uh, it's going to be a great season. So thank, thank, uh, thankful to my family for letting it all happen. <laughs> that sounds pretty nice. Correct. We, I don't do anything like that. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't either. It's what uh, we were saying before I went on. My wife's a teacher who goes back early. So our, our we have more off season traditions. They uh, often, they come with me to Vegas for summer league. And then I don't see them much, frankly, because I'm, you know, <laughs> they're all like sending me pictures from shopping and laying by the pool, having you know, drinks with little umbrellas in them. And I'm in a sweaty gym, but nonetheless, that that's more of a, that's more of our family thing with my wife being a teacher. She's already back. It doesn't feel like the season to me until though I've been to a preseason game, but you've got to go to a regular season game um, 
And frankly, just because I grew up in L.A., it's, it's a little bit like I want to go to a Lakers game early. I, I will be at Lakers Clippers on Thursday night just because to product the best – the Knicks, there are other teams up there, but I think the best as good a production value of a game in arena as there is. They're just It is fun to go to a Laker game. There is an energy to it, uh, and very few other places have. And until you kind of get that feeling, it doesn't quite feel like the season started yeah, that's, that's a good point. Being in the arena is nothing, nothing like it. It's funny because you know I don't really have I don't really have a tradition. You know, I I feel like our lot like my our lives are basketball. So it's kind of like you know like I think you know, my my family they went to uh, preseason games this year back in San Antonio because now I'm marooned in in New York. You know, and I kind of do with football now because my job is very hard to have like a you know a set thing because I don't know when you know be on the road for football, covering football games or anything like that. But, uh, yeah, there's always like a Hall of Fame event or something along those lines or, you know, there's something like there's some NBA event where the NBA family kind of gets together. Um, so my, my family's always doing stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, this for the past two years or so since I started doing football, um, no, no tradition for me. I just turn on the telly and watch. <laughs> so <laughs> it works. But if you're looking for uh, the best in market values and analysis spreads, totals, player props and more. You got to check out Drew on Bet the Edge, uh, which you can find on our NBC Sports YouTube page. Drew, I'm telling you, I, I learned a great deal. And thank you for breaking down the archetypes. Extremely helpful. And, and of course, um, if you want to, uh, sorry, and of course, the best basketball show will go to PBT Extra. So uh, because our super producer, Dan, I don't know if we'll be able to split the award. So maybe maybe another show will get it and Dan will get producer, super producer. I'm not sure how that would work. We got to check that well, out. Uh, Rue and I have already figured this out. We are going to have a drinking contest and whoever's the last one standing wins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love maybe, it. Maybe, maybe we'll just sweep the awards here at PBT Extra. But you can go if you want to learn more and keep watching us. Join us next week. Uh, or you can go to NBCSports.com slash NBA for all the latest news and articles. Kurt, Drew, thanks a ton. And Kurt, I'll see you next week. Looking forward to it. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.